John chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. This is the word of God for the people of God. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. I did not read verse 6. It's where Jesus asked the man if he wants to be made hugias. Hugies. Um, Tony, that's a word. And uh, it means well in mind and body and spiritually sound doctrine. And I want to draw this as an introduction to what I believe God has us to be about. I can't tell you exact plans and ideas that comes from us together. But I can tell you this, that God wants us to move forward, to be faithful, to lay foundations for ministry, to be intentional about what we do and glorifying Christ as we do that. That as we work through this year, I believe God wants us to be hugies. And I believe He wants our community to find out what that means and us to be an agent of God's healing. And that this day, on this day that we ask God as we commune together to lift us, Prepare us, establish us, and give us a clear vision of what that looks like. I have my own ideas, but I'm not the only one here. And others have the nudgings of the Holy Spirit and the giftings that also are in touch with the community. And as we go forward, there are questions in the back of my mind. One of them is, what does well or hugies look like? And what aspects of that do we focus on? And what parts first? And when we talk about John chapter 5, where Jesus went to Bethesda, can we be a Bethesda here? I believe not only can we be a Bethesda, which means house of mercy, but we can also be a Bethlehem, which is a house of bread. So a Bethlehem and a Bethesda here. We're already feeding. And the house of bread is what that means, a place where people can eat. That's physical. Bethesda is the house of mercy where you spiritually find hope and healing. So I believe we can be a Bethesda and a Bethlehem to our community. And I believe that's important. And I think that's something that when we consider what we're about and how to reach and what we do for our youth, our, our membership, and our community around us to reach them and bless them and bring folks in, that we need to remember what our giftings are and to know those and to establish those. Another question I've asked is, how do we live to reflect Hugies? 
How do we live out of the wellness God offers to us through Christ? And on the opposite side of that, what does it mean to be infirm? What does it mean to be stuck, broken, hurting? So that we know the difference between what we were and what God called us to be and where we are in that journey. I share that with you because in November of 2020, I had a stark realization of a character flaw in myself. And it began a long process which was really enhanced by a study of John 5. And so I've learned a lot of different things about what it means to be well. What it's like to be truly spiritually sound in doctrine, in body and mind, and to ask God to lead in those areas. I'm not a finished product, I promise you. None of us are. But He gave me a framework to share and to teach and to help us grow together. And so that's what I will be working for and toward as we move forward into that. I believe that there's always another depth and level God calls us to. Psalm 42 says, Deep calls to deep. The depth of God calls to the depth in us. And so with that understanding, not a vision of how we're going to do it, but what the framework of that is, I want to share with you a little bit about the invitation, which is the name of the message today. You see, God meets you where you are. He doesn't say you have to be this level or this kind of person or have this character attribute and then you can come to me. What he says is, I meet you where you are, as you are. Carlo Corretto in his book, The God Who Comes, says God is always coming to us. He's the God who comes. And the reason He comes to you is because you're not somewhere else. He has to come where you are. And He knows where you are. And I don't mean just physically. I mean health-wise, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He meets you in those places and says, I'm here with you. I can lead you. And the reason He comes to you is because you are not somebody else. That seems like a simple statement, but it's true. God comes to you because He can't come to somebody else and meet you. But often, when God comes to us, we're in a place where we don't want people to see us, so we put a different face outwardly. But God's coming to us inwardly. And that's who He's trying to meet. The reason God meets you also is because you aren't someone that you're not. You're not another person. You're not somebody else that you want to be. You are who you are. You're not who you were. You are who you are right now in the way you are, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you understand the world, what you believe, and how you serve. That is who you are. You're not something other than that. And that's who God meets. You are who and where you are and He wants to meet with you. God does. He wants you to know Him. He can't meet you where you are not. 
He can't meet you and He can't meet what you are not. He wants to meet you where you are as you are. And He's aware you are in Bethesda, the house of mercy. Even if you don't know it, and let me share with you what I mean by in the house of mercy. That you yourself are a house of mercy because Christ has come to you. You are a place where mercy has come and resides. God's grace. The house of mercy can be the worst place that you know of. Where you say, well, I'm not as holy as I should be. I don't do everything. I keep having these bad habits. I don't do everything. I resist God. You're still the house of mercy. You could be the worst place for mercy to reside or the best. It doesn't matter. He's aware that you are in His house of mercy and have become His house of mercy. He knows your condition. He knows your soul's condition, your heart's condition. He knows your mind's condition, the condition of your wallet, of your marriage, of your spirit. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your health. He knows your fears. He knows your doubts. He knows how you feel about Him. He knows your perspective on forgiveness, if you give it or don't, if you need it and haven't received it, or if you have received it, or how much and how much you've forgiven yourself. He knows your friends and your family. He knows your life. He knows your church. And He knows yourself. And He knows your work. He knows where and what needs healed. He knows what needs to be made whole. He knows what needs forgiven. He knows what in you needs seen. And He knows what in you needs heard. Sometimes we feel unseen and our voice crying out. But God knows. He wants to transform you from where you live. In your body and in your mind. Into the house of mercy completely. Rather than just a house of flesh. He wants to give you a new heart. Create in you a new spirit. A right spirit. And uphold that in you. You have an open invitation to meet Him. Because He's knocking. You have an invitation to know Him. You have an invitation to love Him. You have an invitation to experience Him. You have an invitation to be truly free. So who is it that's laying in Bethesda today? It's a place where the sick, the lame, the halt, the withered, the broken, all came waiting for the water to be stirred and healed. How many of us are waiting just for that moment God could just clear up a doubt or a fear or an anxiousness or or make something significant happen in your life or do a miracle or you're praying for somebody else to say, how many of us are waiting in the house of mercy for God to act? Who's there? It's the broken, the struggling, the hurting, the wounded, the addicted, the faithful, the faithless, the healed in mind. It's the strong, it's the weak, 
It's the rich, it's the poor. It's the white, it's the black, it's the red, it's the brown. They're all laying in the heat, waiting in the house of mercy. Those are the people who are stuck. People who don't trust. People who don't understand. Those who are destitute. Those who found their path in life. They all need mercy. And there are people who have no answer to change their life circumstances. And they really need mercy. And they don't know how to change their story. For example, I have a a long-time friend who only calls to ask for money. And this is their line. Well, I got this thing going and it's going to make me a lot of money. And there's always these schemes and plans and ideas. And one day I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be out of this miserable life, be able to provide for my family better and everything will be okay. Always living for a better day coming that never comes. Always waiting for that money and pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that realistically never can or will happen. They're all pipe dreams, but it's all they have. Maybe you live an experience and you believe lies about yourselves with no actual plan or a way to bring it to fruition, just like they do. Maybe you're used to it. The circumstances seems normal. And these one day when this happens stories filter through all that you say. One day when this happens, when we're great, when we're like this, one day when our church is big, one day when we have enough kids, one day when we all live for one day in the future, but we don't plan or make a decision on how to do that. After 30 years, the story comes from remote, from a rote memory, or 38 is the man at this pool of Bethesda. And we tell the story without even thinking because it's the story we've lived our lives. And it remains our only way to have hope until the waters are troubled and we get in. But that troubling of the water never seems to happen for us, just like for this man. Sometimes the story of how things will change will be different, but the stories theme remains the same. Our narrative remains as such until God intervenes. I want to hear what you I want you to hear what Jesus says to this man. He says, "Do you want to be made well?" He doesn't say, "Someday when you're better, You'll get up and you'll walk and you'll be infirm no more. One day, when that water doesn't trouble, one day. Jesus doesn't speak in one days. He says, do you want to be who he is? Do you want a different story for your life? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? We say similar like him, well, my plans aren't working. I'm trying. But one day they will. And I'll keep trying. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. One day God's going to do something. It'll be great. And so will I. Just you wait. It's going to be something. And I'm going to make a difference. Because my life will matter. 
Jesus' response to him is the same one as to us. Get up and walk. What would you do if your greatest hang-up was gone right now? Your greatest fear and struggle was no longer there. What would you do? How would your life be different? What's the first thing that you would do? Jesus tells this man to break a Sabbath day fence law. He tells him to pick his mat up and carry it on the Sabbath. Hmm. Why would Jesus do that? Why would He tell him to do work on a Sabbath day? Let me ask you a different question. In what terms has this man ever done work? He's laid and firm for 38 years. Waiting for the mercy of God and nothing's happened. He's been waiting for the day when he can get up and walk and do work. He's been waiting for 38 years. If he all of a sudden can get up and walk and do all the things he's been planning for and hoping for and never seen realized come to fruition and he can do that, then what in the world would make you think that he's thinking this is work? It's a joy to pick up my mat and walk. I'm celebrating that I can. But all the temple leaders saw him walking on the Sabbath carrying his bed. That's work. You violated the Sabbath. Well, the man told me to. Uh, it's the first time in history Jesus told somebody to do something, they did it. And they did it regardless of consequences. It's the first time in history that Jesus says, do something that violates the Sabbath, and he does it. Think about that for a second. Do you think he was going to wait to walk or carry it on the next day? Do you think he was actually going to check to see if he could walk? If everything worked the next day after he's been healed? When he's been waiting 38 years? Or is he going to check everything out? What do you expect a man who's been healed to do but to do the work that Jesus asked him to do? Try and stop Him. When God transforms us in our lives, we go about the work He called us to do with joy because we realize we weren't able to before. And we go about it. It's no longer a burden. It's something we celebrate. And when God heals us completely inside out, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all those ways, all of a sudden we say, I want others to know about this. I don't care what the outside world says. I want to do this because it changed me. And I want people to know that I am different. A man with an infirmity for 38 years isn't going to go, I'm going to wait. God asks us to do things when He asks us. He doesn't say, well, you'll be ready tomorrow. So I'll ask you today for tomorrow. He asks you when the time is right. Because he's not early. And he's never late. He's perfect in his timing. So when God asks us 
to do whatever it might be. Let's just simply get up and do it. Without question, trusting that that's what He called us to. And it may come from someone sitting here today that says, I believe God wants us to do this. And I'm going to say, let's try it out. Let's pick it up and let's walk it. Why? Because God has called us to be obedient even when our mind doesn't think it makes sense. But our mind isn't in agreement with the Spirit of God. Our Spirit of God inside us is. And that's what we check things with. Not logic. Because God has never been logical according to human logic. He even says, my thoughts aren't like yours. I don't think like you do. And the way I do things isn't the way you think it should be done. And so I'm asking us today to think about forward and to ask God to stir up the gifts in us, to prepare us for what He has for us, that we might move at a moment's notice when He says do so. And the way we prepare in Holy Communion, I put it in the bulletin, is like this. We simply say, God, I come broken to be healed. I come sinful to be forgiven. I come unworthy, but welcomed. You set an invitation before me at the table that your son gave his life for me to be able to sit at. Not because I was worthy, but because your love loved me that much. And you wanted to meet me. God wants to meet you where you are, as you are. All he's asking is you come to the table to do it. This today is what I'm asking us to do in communion. To say, God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me. Stir up the gift you've already put inside of me. And let me boldly and courageously announce that vision, hope, and gift to the world. This, my friends is I believe our task in front of us and will move us forward. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, the one whom no secrets are hid and all hearts are disclosed and every thought is made known and every longing, desire, fear, question clearly understood before we ask it or experience it. And you've made a way for us, for healing, restoration, and hope. And we may have been thinking, it'll never happen, it's just a dream. But you said, and you promised us, that if he would come and meet you, you would meet us. If we really want to be what you called us to be, We'll be that. And when you do that, Heavenly Father, we'll immediately pick up our mat, our cross, our task, and we'll walk it out with you. We'll follow you anywhere, Lord, because you are the only one who's the good shepherd. And thank you for your grace. Amen.